2: it's a time machine? How of a DeLorean? This is
0: the stupid cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. <laughs>
2: There, children.
3: Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like me
2: because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the hosts of the stupid cancer show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappi. Doesn't <laughs> there's anything wrong
1: with us. Oh yeah. Monday, July 18th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
0: And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer
1: Show. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time.
0: Tonight's show is all about food politics with our special guest, Marion Nestle, Ph.D. She's the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at the NYU Steinhardt School of Culture, Education, and Human Development. And she is the author of Food Politics, How the Food Industry Influences, Influences Nutrition and Health, and Safe Food, The Politics of Food Safety, and What to Eat, an aisle-by-aisle aisle guide to savvy food choices and good eating. And keeping it off on our Survivor Spotlight is Miles Bestkind. He's the best kind of guest. I'm sorry, I just had to say it. Ooh. He's the young adult survivor of stage four colon cancer, author of Blood, Sweat, and Tears: A Humorous Guide to Caring for Cancer Patients.
1: As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online. At StupidCancer.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day and bring the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. Because it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, friends, and welcome back to yet another fun and exciting romp of the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where we're remission. It's not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters.
0: And to Stupid Cancer, welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Don't forget you can download us there for free as we broadcast live from the Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
1: The Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during every broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, ask questions of our guests, and with that, it is my pleasure to say hello, everybody. Hello, Matthew. I'd like to welcome back... Dr. Reverend James Manning Jr.
0: What and up, Matt?
1: Mr. Kenneth Kane. Well, hello. Hi there.
0: Nice to have you in the house, Kenneth.
1: Thank you. Great to be here as always, Lisa. <laughs> Back to you. <laughs>
0: You're looking marvelous.
1: Back to you. Skip. Well, thank you. Yes.
0: You've got a nice summer tan to go with your usual gingerness. I do.
1: I'm not. Uh, I'm surprised. You're not I'm nearly not, as blind, bleachy white. As I'm you not Edward that. Cullen anymore.
0: And you're not really a lobster either. You actually have no, a deep it's, color. It's, it's kind my, of like all your freckles have connected. Yes.
2: All no, freckles. <laughs> it's, it's a roadmap.
1: It's a roadmap to my heart, which only you can find. Uh, oh. No, <laughs> no it's, it's my my half secret Italian lineage that uh, Very provides nice. me with a, a a burn to tan, if you will. Nice.
3: Yes. Right. And James,
1: you're as pacey-wet as I am? As always. Yes.
3: And explain J- to me this reverend piece. How am I a reverend? I, I
1: just, I name people things. Okay. You're whatever. like
3: Reverend Run of Run DMC. Yes, Reverend Run. Something like that.
1: He's too young. Look, if Kenny can be a reverend... are too young
3: for that. Then I've you can heard be the reference, but I don't
1: think I... No, I'm saying Kenny, you are an ordained minister, aren't I you? am. I am the Church of Johnny Immerman or something right. like that. Right. <laughs> yes. But you can wed people, for real. I can oh for no. uh, for nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> uh, yes. You're coming in cheap. Ah, uh, I know I should raise my rates.
0: He's okay. sitting right next to me tonight, Kenny Kane. Hey, you can get married in New York now. I know.
1: Kenny? <laughs> You're married. <laughs> <laughs> At uh, least I'm sorry, married already. But we can be married via Kenny.
0: You and I? Yeah.
1: Wow. Just for the sake of the show.
0: You mean I can, just start, I can just start marrying left and right?
1: Well, you know, first it's straight marriage. For the marriage, sake of the show? Then it's gay marriage, then it's polygamy. It, it's,
3: well, I think polygamy is illegal in the state, is it not?
1: In this state? Yes. Probably not. No, you could be work, husband, and wife. Yes. Yes. I'm all for that. Did
0: you read that piece about that uh, polygamist who does that reality show, and now he's, um, because obviously his life was exposed, kind of the real life big love thing. Right. And now he's in a whole court case because... They're coming after him. because, Yeah. Anyway. What's up? We, we digress. Yes. We could get married for the show. That would be a fine publicity stunt. Right, Matthew? That would be
1: great. Charitable dare. Look, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did the vegan diet. You guys can get married. All right. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: All right. So uh, what else do we have to talk about? I'm other sorry, than Lisa. It's not going
1: to last. Oh, all right. You do well, have a wife, All right. Well, I'm, so I'm I. excited about tonight's show because we do shows about nutrition a lot, but very rarely about politics and the intersection therein. So this is going to be a good show. I'm very excited to have Dr. Nassal on. They're in. They're in.
0: They're in live.
1: Here to four. Four. You, you sit here agog. We're agog. A... <laughs> you sit
0: here agog. That's Matthew says in, the, in our fabulous new befuddled,
1: O-M- befuddled agog, o- uh, OMG
0: video, Matthew says, "I stand here agog, and I could swear he says, I stand here agog.'" Me too. Because oh, we know it. him. We that's know it. him that well that he.
2: We I know stand he's... here
3: a blob. <laughs> <laughs> I think he bit God. I mean, let's face it. (laughs) I don't know who uses that word anymore, but apparently I do.
0: Apparently you do. You and you uh,
3: alone. A prehistoric Webster
1: dictionary. You don't think? think, (laughs) All right, let's 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 take this into consideration. Let's look at how wild-eyed, Doc Brown, Back to the Future-style I was in the 2010 sizzle video for OMG. With my yeah. giant eyes, you looked like you got hit by a lightning bolt <laughs> that came out of uh, Ethan. I did. I felt. Like I looked, and I talked like I got hit by a lightning bolt. So by 2011, by I could not be
0: happier. That's what you say.
1: I could not be. happier. Yeah. I could not be happier. No, <laughs> you, you were still recovering from being on a 45-minute social media panel with That's me. Right. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like by comparison to 2010, 2011 was mild. Yeah. But I really was like, you. You shouldn't come up to me. At the end of the event, when I'm so frazzled and excited, right. let's fake it at the beginning, yeah, and then run it later.
0: but how you pulled out agog,
1: I couldn't think of another word uh, you could, <laughs> I'm that horrible it's of an, of, my, yeah. a, of a person
0: most people have that problem. they can only think of a gog, yes, um, so let's talk about some things that our good uh, peeps are doing around here. well, what did you do well? that I'm was not legal i'm one of the good <laughs> good people. well there were some um excellent people who got in touch with me who got in touch with you first matthew up in mount kisco uh a wonderful woman named Allison gannell and she put together a breast cancer fundraiser and one of the groups there was a local group called the hot pink housewives Ooh. yeah Had to go check them out um that is one of these you hey know you hey know yeah So they did a terrific event up in Mount Kisco, and I went up to uh, speak to the group of women. They were a fantastic group of women. And played Herbalist, a.k.a. Jesse Herskowitz. There you go. Stupid Cancer Anthem. And they loved it. They had a DJ there, and so introed the song. Interesting. And that was a lot of fun. What was the
2: median age
1: of the event? our kind of crowd or did you have to kind of sway them? You know
0: what was nice about it, actually? The women were a little bit... I would say the women were in their 30s and 40s, uh-huh. so there were definitely some young adults, but they yeah. brought their kids, which I thought was really nice. So the kids got they to sort of hear and experience.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, in terms of the uh, hip-hop Jesse? Yeah, the,
3: the Wiz Khalifa. No,
0: they were... The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the women were down with, with Herbalist. Nice. They were completely down. So uh, that was really nice. It was nice to play his song. And then um, Mimi Ferraro, who's... Uh, Part of the family and has been on the show yes. she's an actress singer and yoga teacher,
1: and she's apparently now a journalist, investigative journalist yes. right
0: she's a hard hitting investigative journalist now, and she wrote a terrific um op ed piece that um bloomberg it was for the bloomberg op ed page, which is um serious stuff about the unforeseen costs uh, of health
1: care right. and what she went through her personal story, which is um it was a huge embarrassment to the industry for that matter and and yeah. all of her doctors and everything that Every iota of her health world should be ashamed and embarrassed by what she was able to discover. Absolutely,
0: but it's great that she's getting out there and getting that story out there. So, folks should go check it out on uh, Bloomberg op-ed or uh, Mimi Ferrara and Google that and look it up because it's uh, important stuff to read. So we love when we love when our family and friends are out there spreading the good word, even if it's the sort of bad word in terms of what happened it's to them. It's the bad <laughs> word, but it's
1: <laughs> the good bad word. To
0: try to rectify uh, the situation as it is. Right. Um, other than that, uh, how about the Women's World Cup? So close. So close, USA.
1: I didn't watch it. Yeah. They went
0: all the way to the finals, and then there was a shoot. They was tied 2-2, and they do this ridiculous thing that they have to do, I guess, to finally wrap up these endless soccer games where they do these, you know, shootouts, yeah. and you get five shots. and Oh, it's that, just,
1: it came to that, like came, a sudden death or yeah, whatever? Yeah,
0: exactly. It came to that, and uh, Japan won. It was heartbreaking.
1: I think social but the media amazing. social media ROI is not having to actually turn on the TV <laughs> but just be able to like keep up with every oh, yeah. she missed uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: just watch yeah. status yeah. updates. Yeah.
1: Well, anyway, yeah, my apologies to the United States for losing and my uh, my condolences for Japan for having to deal with us hating them even more. We're still a six-hour. The yes. Well,
0: they've been they've been through a rough patch, Japan. Recently. You know, I g- you know what?
1: That is a very valid point. I will give Japan a thumbs up. A tip of my hat. They deserve to win. They had a rough year.
0: They had a rough year. Yep. And the USA did a great job. And,
1: uh, and it's not like losing to, like, Brazil who always wins, right? You know, right. How often has Japan ever been even close to winning?
0: No, never, I think. Right.
1: Yeah. But we've won a bunch like of Like us. Right. No, not the Women's World Cup, no. Oh, the Women's, okay. Yeah.
0: And not even the Men. When does the Men? The Men hasn't won. We haven't won the World Cup, World Cup for man, Men's Soccer. No? I can't.
1: Uh, Imagine. I, I'd Google no. it, but I'm too lazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go look at someone's status. <laughs>
0: what about your ROI on your social media? I stand here I stand here
1: Googled.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. Very nice. We should probably bring on the best kind
2: of guest, oh, Miles, best kind. He's, He's so going to
1: hang up with the phone. He is, he is.
0: Let's no, rock this one then. Can't ever get enough young MC.
1: You just can't. It's all good stuff. Go for it, Maddie. All right, Miles Bestkind is a CPA, CFO, marathon runner, and despite being born in the shallow end of the gene pool... I didn't write that, he did. <laughs> <laughs> or the Gene Pond. He is a two time survivor of colon cancer. He's also the father of three great kids, which is which is not to say there are more than three and only three are great. I have no idea what this show means. His blog is called Kicking Cancer's Butt and the soon to be released ebook is called Blood, Sweat and Tears, a Humorous Guide to Caring for Cancer Patients. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. The one and only Miles Befkind. Miles. Hello, Miles. Hello. Hello. You You get the big applause, my friend. I love it. Thank you very much. I'm I'm a gog. What can I say? (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. He's breaking up on our phone. Your Your phone's phone's a little crackly. Are you calling on a landline or a cell phone?
4: That is a landline. Is it it not good?
1: It's a little crackly. It's a little uh, crackly.
4: Let's see what we can do.
1: And we'll say again, it's a little
0: crackly. All right. We'll let, while Miles sorts that out, he must be, perhaps, the funniest CPA ever.
4: I know. Like, <laughs> you wonder about that. Yeah. It is It is not a hard title to obtain. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm uh, switching handsets here. Let's see if that
0: Oh, I think that's better. Oh, that's federal... much better. Yeah, Much yeah. more better.
4: Oh,
1: the day, other, The other handset was the worst kind. <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed.
0: All right, Miles. All right. Born yeah, in the ship. Oh. You there?
4: I am. Okay.
0: Born in the shallow end of the gene pool.
4: Well, yeah, that's sort of my tip of the hat. Thanks, uh, Mom, for all the uh, colon cancer genes that got passed my way. Not Mom's fault, but, you know, that uh, that side of the family got hit pretty hard. So.
0: Is that so right? now it
4: all came down to me.
0: A long line of uh, colon cancer survivors?
4: Yeah, the interesting thing is my mom was one of five. Uh, she, uh, all, all of her siblings and, and her had it. And wow. then I'm one of about 13 cousins, and I'm the only one that got it, so I'm trying to figure out how that happened. Okay. And uh, that's why I'm actually going to be up in New York at Memorial Sloan Kettering later this week doing some genetic work. I'm to figure out, okay, how this guy get all the luck?
0: So you haven't had any gene- genetic testing yet? Is that what you're about to have?
4: I've done some initial, and I kind of went through the, the three or four most likely sources. Uh, and It was a few years ago that I had that done, and at that time at least, we kind of ran through the ones that were easy to find, and they said, no, you don't have any of those.
2: So uh-huh.
4: my hope is that by now some time has passed and there's more stuff out there that they might be able to find. So,
0: Okay. You're still a little crackly on us there, Miles. Okay.
4: I'm going to step into the best place in the house I can find for a reception see if that helps. Okay. Oh, you know what? He's on a cordless phone.
1: Ooh, yeah. that's a no-no. All Sorry,
4: That's a no-no? All right. I don't have a corded phone. Do people still have corded phones?
1: I keep a corded phone because I believe in 1986. Matt has
4: a rotary phone.
1: I have a rotary (laughs) cordless phone. (laughs) In the event that he needs to order Domino's in a blackout. (laughs) I'm avoiding the Noid. Does anyone remember that? No. Avoid the Noid? No. No. I I remember that. Yeah, all right, I'm old. You are proving (laughs) your youthfulness, Lisa, by not knowing that. Avoiding
3: the Noid? Avoid the
1: Noid was the Domino's commercial campaign of the 80s. Oh,
3: remember 30 minutes or less, but not the Noid. Right. No. Uh, Miles, how you doing? You back with us?
4: I am. I'm here. Is this any better? Okay. That's better. Yes. Don't move. <laughs> I'm standing right here. Everybody, freeze.
0: Yep. <laughs> so you're coming to? You're going to do some more genetic testing here in New York, and you were diagnosed. Right. How long ago, Miles?
4: Well, it's, the whole thing started about uh, six years ago. Um, my first time out, I had a little a little polyp that had a little cancer in it. So we had a little surgery, and uh, we thought we were all done. Yeah, And then uh, somehow, a bunch of clean colonoscopies later, they said, oh, guess what? This this pain you're having in your hip, that's also colon cancer. Wow. And, yeah, and we said, how'd that get there? Well, we don't know. Huh. But it's colon cancer, lucky you. And, oh, by the way, there's some in your lung, too. Yeah. So that was, that was fun. Well, still- that was a good day.
0: And so had they ever followed up and have they ever found anything else in the colon or is it still all going back to no. that one bit that they found on that first polyp?
4: Yeah, never never reappeared in the colon. So, um and that's the the reason I came to Sloan Kettering to start with at the beginning of all this, well two reasons. Number one was I hadn't found a doctor I liked here in Atlanta and I was getting a little you know, I was ready to get started with fighting this thing. I was kinda of over the news and now let's get going, but but I hadn't found I always like to say I want I want the guy who's going to put on like the war paint and and go yeah. like you know to be an in Invictus when the when the New Zealanders <laughs> all come out of the field and go you know <laughs> start the haka right. yeah I, I want the haka and you, uh, you know you I ended up finding a nice you know nice Jewish doctor from Connecticut who's a little more horror than haka but still we you know he had the right attitude but in the meantime I came up to New York and and uh, wanted to get some opinions on you know where's this thing coming from and you know basically they said well we think there's a theory called rogue cells and maybe you're one of those rare people that had them that you know you had the surgery something somehow escaped um, into your body and found a new home and most people's immune systems would take care of that on their own but you know you tough guy have uh, apparently no immune system whatsoever and therefore your <laughs> your colon cancer cells found their way into all kinds of neat places that they normally don't so wow yeah so
0: you You've got uh, your CPA, you've yes. got three great kids. I do. Uh, I do. I'm just I'm just putting it together now, which is not to say that there are more than three, and that only no, no, three yes. great kids. You but mean in the anymore. world.
4: You, yeah, just, if you say you've got three great kids, I, I don't know where your mind goes, but my mind goes to, well, how many does he have in total? If three <laughs> of them are Yeah, That's yeah right. I mean, we like, got one, we hide in the attic. Yeah, six shows yeah, exactly. and
1: three yeah. great, great kids. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah, you, you know how that works. Now, James, we were introduced only recently through Sandy Ring of Super Sibs, which is a, an amazing organization. That Why did you connects... call him James? Because I'm, okay. I'm staring at James. Miles. <laughs> this is Miles. That's Miles. That's staring sorry. at James. You know what it is? I see James in my right peripheral vision, and I'm staring at his name in the chat room and on Facebook. And you're, hoppy, a... you're hopping on one foot. Yes. I'm a gog. I'm cog. a gog. I'm a gog. Miles, we were connected. <laughs> <laughs> beep, beep. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sandy Ring from the amazing organization called Super Sibs, which is a yeah. na- national network of support your siblings whose siblings are sick. Um right. How did you uh, come to know Sandy? Well,
4: so Sandy and I were, were boyfriend and girlfriend when we were I don't know 13 and 12 or something like that at summer camp. Oh wow! And uh, and, and despite having that experience with me, we've remained friends for many years. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it sort of happened. To cross paths again about the time of my first diagnosis and I, and I didn't really realize she was plugged into the cancer world in the way that she was and as it turns out she's been a great not only a great friend but a great resource as well and making sure I was aware of, of cool things like like stupid cancer and like Immerman Angels and it's just been a you know a really valuable thing for me to have such a great friend um, and she does some really cool work. I'm, I'm really impressed by that organization.
1: Now, in, in terms of your awareness of the young adult movement, I know we discussed this, you're over 40 now, but you're, like, an yeah. alumni, and you should be, yeah. feel like you do belong to the community. Police so is an alumni. <laughs> that's right. I'll be an alumni soon. Right. And, like, we have the chance to really make a difference for the next 21-year-old, the 26-year-old, 30-year-old, you know, that's going through this. Were you – how old were you when you were diagnosed, actually? I was 38. Okay, so were you made aware at the time that there was sort of a – 20s, 30s community out there that was advocating for itself.
4: No, I, I was, you know, like like a lot of people. I think I was, you know, the youngest guy in the room scenario. Um, you know, in even at 38,
1: of, it just goes even to 38, show. Yeah,
4: yeah, and particularly when, um, when, it, when you're dealing with something like colon cancer, which is, um, you know, uh, fairly common at 60, at 70, but but not so much, you know, under 40. Um, but then again, I've run across quite a few people. I've got a support group full of people uh, that, that I meet with once a month here in Atlanta, and you know, six or seven out of the, the, the eight or ten people that I've met there are, are all under forty, and some were even in their late twenties when they were first diagnosed. It. So, it's unfortunately, it's becoming a much more popular thing. Uh, but no, You're I didn't know anything trend. about. Yeah, what's that?
1: You're setting a trend.
4: Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, I'm a leader. What can I say? The you know the. The, the community of, of young adult cancer survivors is something that I did not find until you know in the last year or so um, on, on this round, and uh, I'm glad I found it because I still feel even though, you know, you got you got to define a cutoff somewhere, but I'm at at, at 45 now. I'm still not in what I consider the the norm, and I'm still at, at the chemo room. You know, every third or fourth time there might be somebody younger than me in there, but Typically, uh, they're still not, um, which I guess on on one hand is a good thing, but uh, it does mean we need to find each other and and connecting through ways other than sort of traditionally what's been done in the past I think is, is a great thing, and you guys are certainly helping that along. And how has it
0: been with your kids? How how involved have they been? How did you kind of tell them when you first got sick? And tell us what ages they are and sort of they are because yeah, obviously that's another. I mean, there are plenty of obviously young adults under forty who do have young kids. Yep. Who uh, it's a you know delicate delicate balance how to handle right.
4: that. Right. So I have uh, the kids now are thirteen and then I have twins that are ten. So an older boy and boy and girl twins. And you know this time around, um, my wife and I got some great advice uh from, from people who've, you know, been through it and, and also were uh one woman in particular, a good friend who, who works with kids in a um kind of a, a child psychology type of role. And and it's and it's about, you know, being there for them as they they're going to get to those questions, right? It it took them different amounts of time but, you know, within a month of knowing that I had cancer again this time around all three of them, you know, asked the question, one of me, two of my, two of them asked my wife without me around, you know, is, are you going to die from this? Right. And, you know, be prepared for those questions. And the answer that, that we gave was, you know, that, yes, cancer is something that people can die from, but Daddy has great doctors, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen for a long, long time. And, you know, that's all you can tell them. Unfortunately, my kids have seen... Two parents of the younger kids have seen two parents in their class die from cancer um, in the last three and a half years. Yeah. So they're they're all too familiar with the connection. But we've also told them, you know, there are a lot of people who get cancer and survive, and and just like I did the first time, and now I'm going to do it again. Um, yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, one of the uh, things
1: I wanted to just bring up is, is you know, you're another example. You're a runner. You're athletic. Yeah. And you get cancer. And tonight's yeah. show is about food politics, and, and mm-hmm. next week's show is about the environment and cancer. Yep. I, I'm thoroughly convinced that genes are only we, – we use genes as an excuse a little too much. Yep. Yep. You know, what is it about this world where you can be a runner, athletic, eat well, be fantastic, and get cancer, or you can be some sort of slob that eats McDonald's every day on a couch in – I'll just name a random state that I don't expect to ever visit Kansas – and you live to 110. Yeah. Disease free.
2: Yeah.
4: Do you have any it thoughts on a, that? Uh, you know, I, at, at the risk of sounding like my father, life isn't fair, right? You know, it's uh, what I hear my thoughts about it, Matthew. I, I may never know why. Uh, I may never know if it was genes or if it was something that, you know, I was fed as a baby or, you know, not being breastfed or being, you know, you, who knows? you'll never you know we, we may never know why i got it and so i can't spend a lot of energy on why i got it what i have to spend my energy on is how do i get through it and and for me how do i how do i find the humorous moments that that were worth trying to you know try to tell stories about and and, and laugh with my family and friends about because that's what gets me through it. Um, you know, if I sat there and, and, and let it get to me and, and let that be the thing that kept me up at night, you know, I, I wouldn't get through it and, and wouldn't get through it, it at least wouldn't have the the strength or the stability, I guess, mentally to, to do all the other things in my life I needed to do. I mean, one of the things that my wife and I set out to do at the very beginning of this was keep life as normal as we could. Going back to talking about the kids for a second, you know, it was, you know, I'm not going to miss any more events than I absolutely have to. I'm not gonna, you know, yes, I'm gonna be tired after chemo, but so what, you know, so I'll I'll nap more. Um, those sorts of things. You just you just gotta try to particularly when you've got kids involved, you gotta try to be normal and I put my energy into that and, and not so much into why me. Um it's it's natural to feel why me, but you gotta you gotta let that be a phase that you get through, not yeah. the place where you stop.
0: You Let's talk about your use of humor. Obviously, we can tell that you've got a great sense of humor, and I'm looking at your blog right now. Folks can go on your blog. It's called Kickin with No G, Kickin Cancer's Butt, dot blogspot dot com. And uh, there you are talking about um, the people shouldn't watch Wipeout and they should listen to you on the Stupid Cancer Show. Love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and you wrote your book, which is the, right. as we mentioned, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, a Humorous Guide Caring for Cancer Patients, your e book. So what would be your, I mean, you just approach, obviously, life with a sense of humor. As we said, we're deeming you the world's funniest CPA. But uh, how did you, uh, first of all, sit down, get through a book, keep the blog? I mean, talk about your whole process of using humor to uh, get you through the treatment
4: well, the, the, the blog started first, and, and really at the beginning, it was it was more a way just to keep people informed. Um, you, yeah. you know, you have so many people asking, and uh, you know, how's he doing? And, and, and I wanted to give people a place they could go and, and find out without having to ask, because some people would prefer to do that. And, and frankly, for, for for my wife Marcy's sake, to to not necessarily have everybody happen to come to her. But right. what it what it evolved into was, you know something funny would happen in it and it you know it's part of the story and I just wanna, you know, pass that along. Some experience I had in the you know, in the chemo room and, and I started I started live blogging my chemo sessions because mm-hmm. I figured, you know, if, if ten million people are gonna tune in to Steve Jobs, you know, if you know I could be I could be the Steve Jobs with chemo only instead of a black turtleneck I was wearing something, you know, with an open shirt so I can unbutton to get my chemo port. But other than that we're pretty much the same kind of thing. You know, and they, when when he's up there doing his, you know, product announcements. So, I wanted to do that. I wanted to share a little more about what's the experience like and, and it gave me a chance to you know, if I was having trouble sleeping when the chemo first started and we we're trying to get all that right, you know, I you get all these crazy thoughts running through your head, so why not, you know, put them down on paper and you know yeah. I don't think anybody else is up at three AM with me, but here's what I'm going through right now. Uh yeah. and and it just turned into that and, and through that I had a few people encourage me, you know, you're your writing is is entertaining, and you ought to find another format to go you know, go further with it. So that's where the book idea came from. And I wanted to write a book that was, you know, that that told my story as part of the book, um, but but in the background. And it really is supposed to be a way for people to who are dealing with others that have cancer um, and helping them out as their caregivers to to learn what to expect from all that, but also to learn that it's important that they help their patient. You know, get to that point where they can laugh at it. Not everybody is going to be ready to read that book the day after they get diagnosed, or the day after their 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 spouse or their best friend gets diagnosed. It's it's not going to be it's not going to be what you want to read. Right. But when you get to that point where you're ready to sort of step back from all the absurdity and realize, you know, this is life now, and and if I can't enjoy it, um, you know, it, it, it's going to get, it's going to win. Cancer is going to win, and I'm not going to let it do that. When you get to that point you know that's when something like this I think maybe will be helpful for a few people and um it's been great for me to write it. My wife tells me after the first draft she's like, I didn't realize how angry you were and I went back and reread it. I'm like, oh, I guess I guess I did kinda you know, pick on those doctors a little too much or <laughs>
3: et
4: cetera. But, you know, I got back to I rewrote those sections a little bit, but I really wanted to just get out on paper a lot of that stuff that's inside me and, and you know, blogging is a great way to do that, writing is a great way to do it, and even if nobody ever sees it. Um it to me has been very cathartic to go through that and and I love doing it and um, yeah, you know, we'll see now now we'll we'll put it out there and see if anybody else thinks it's funny too, but uh Well again so it's far. called
0: yeah, it's called Blood, Sweat and Tears, A Humorous Guide to Caring for Cancer Patients. Yeah. And uh again I totally hear you reach a certain point where you can uh not necessarily write, as you said, the day after you're diagnosed, but when you have a little bit of distance, uh and you can sort of reflect on it and reflect on it with humor. Um that certainly would help a lot of folks out there. So, yeah.
1: Thanks for being our guest, Miles. I mean, it was That's last minute, part. but uh, you rock, and I can't wait to see you. Thanks, Matthew. Looking forward to that as well. All right. Take care, Miles. Thanks, Miles. <laughs> Miles, best kind, everybody. Let's breeze to the news here Hello, really quickly. And, uh, Brockman, and, this is and get to Dr. Nessel. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all just for young adults, and they're all free. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, send us an email with some details at info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to
0: events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matthew, what have we got going on?
1: We got a Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Denver on July 19th. Uh, Kenny, when's the one in D.C.? Uh, it is August 5th, and that's a uh, kickoff event for the Young Adults and Cancer WTF Young Adult Survivorship Conference down there as well. I'll awesome. The in the chat. Uh, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, August 17th, and Wednesday, August 24th in northern New Jersey. It's the
0: unofficial Save the Day for the 5th Annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas. Pencil-, pencil in, folks, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st, 2012. For an all out weekend of insanely awesome programs, events, social networking at the HIPAA's annual event in all of Cancer Land. Keep your eyes peeled at omg2012.org over the coming weeks for more details and the official save the date.
1: The Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 800 members right now. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit StupidCancerForums.com today and sign up with one click through Facebook. Want to help out with don't-know-how?
0: Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free, it's easy, win great prizes, build our grassroots efforts, and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. And
1: as always, finally here on the news, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-to-one peer matching at immermanangels.org. And check out the calendar for First Descent, the premier young and outdoor adventure organization, at firstdescent.org. And that, that is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News.
2: All right.
0: We are very excited and pleased to welcome Marion Nessel, who is the Paulette Goddard Professor in the Department of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University. Her degrees include a PhD in molecular biology and an MPH in public health nutrition. Where'd the music go, Matthew? How about that? <laughs> she was Senior Nutrition Policy Advisor in the Department of Health and Human Services. Her research examines scientific, economic, and social influences on food choice. She's the author of three Canon 3 Prize winning books. Food politics, how the food industry influences nutrition and health, safe food, the politics of food safety, and what to eat—an aisle by aisle guide to savvy food choices and good eating. Please help us welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Marion Nessel.
4: Doctor Nessel. welcome
0: to
1: the show. <laughs> it's a good
5: doctor. We're thrilled to have you on the show. Oh, glad to be here.
1: No, it's very exciting. Uh, apologies for the uh, the tech glitch. Our Music Monkey uh, <laughs> lost his banana.
0: Otherwise known as Matthew. Yeah, yes. that would be me. <laughs> but we are it's back in, and, and we're thrilled to have you here. Well, glad to be here.
1: So we we were like, um, well, the, James Manning, who was one of our broadcast production assistants, came up came to us with your name. We did all this. I mean, I I saw you on Colbert, so I knew who you were. And I have read your book. I, 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 I actually did read the we book. We saw
0: you on Colbert, yes. That's
5: no, I'm in, the, I'm in the demo. You know, you hit yeah. Colbert, and
1: you did a great job. I was really, he's, 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 he plays that character pretty tough. Oh, um, he
5: really does. It's hard to know what to do with someone who drops five pounds of sugar on his head. I, know. Was,
1: <laughs> he, I don't know how he didn't. his hand didn't bleed when he punctured the glass with, with Oh, glass. I
5: don't know. I mean, he's just amazing.
1: Oh, okay, he yeah. did a great job. He won another Emmy. Like another well, three or four Emmys. Yeah. He deserves it. Yeah, they do, they do. That's
0: because Dr. Nessel was on, he
1: won another Emmy. That's it, it was your show. <laughs> she was She was a
0: good straight man for him. Yeah, she right. set him up and got, got him that Emmy.
1: Nice. Anyway. So I, I, I wanted to just get started at the beginning. In, in terms of your career, how did you first decide to go into nutrition? Did you start out in nutrition or did you start out going into medicine? Where Where did the course of your your sort of your academia uh Pursuits, you know, leading. Well, I. Yeah.
5: I'd always really loved food, but I
2: couldn't <laughs> figure out
5: it. I couldn't figure out any way to study it. Uh, the choices seemed to be agriculture, or dietetics, and I didn't think either one of them quite was. Where I was city girl, so I didn't get agriculture, um, and I ended up uh, becoming a basic biomedical scientist um, and on my first teaching job i was given a nutrition course to teach and it was like falling in love and i've never looked
0: back wow i like how she said she started out a basic biomedical scientist as if that were like you know yeah like a, like i just work
1: at barnes and noble right. <laughs> like a vocational course
2: well, I
0: thought science, scientists would seem very
5: challenging. I turn out to naturally think like a scientist. I want to know what the evidence is. Um, and so I kind of took to it, but it really wasn't nearly as much fun as food or nutrition, and I've just had a wonderful time with it ever since.
1: Now, we were talking about, we've done a lot of shows on the environment, nutrition, and agribusiness, and, and what, we're not just all about cancer, and, you know, it was we were discussing this before the show, Clearly, with the issues of food, regardless of like, you know, corporate bureaucracy and politics and oversight and whatever, we have to eat food. We can (laughs) choose to ignore other industries as much as we can, but we have no choice but to eat. (laughs) So it's kind of like the one thing in common where we just can't ignore it, but how do we deal with it? And what what you're doing, you're bringing to light so many engaging conversations that just need to happen. Um, I wanted to just start the conversation with some news that was made earlier this week, which I know you're aware of, how... The kitty cereal market—if <laughs> you want to call it that—the kitty cereal lobby. I hate the fact that there's a lobby for kitty cereal. Is getting angry at the fact that we're trying to put more regulations on. You know that that Tony the Tiger shouldn't really be used anymore because it's just like it's a it's an insulin death to, to children.
5: Yeah, I mean, it never used to be a problem for food marketers to worry about who they were selling to or whether they were selling to kids. But it's a huge problem now that kids are overweight. So everyone is now scrutinizing food companies um, to look at their marketing practices, and those things that used to be cute, like putting toys in cereal boxes, suddenly have taken on a very different kind of meaning. And the the companies are kind of thrown by it and really for a long time didn't know how to respond. But as there's more and more pressure, not only from food advocates, but from people like Mrs. Obama, who was very concerned about childhood obesity, uh, they really have had to respond, but that puts them in a terrible, terrible dilemma because selling to kids is extremely lucrative. And very, very profitable. Those products are cheap to make and expensive to sell. And if they're not going to be selling those products to kids, they're going to lose sales. And they're going to be in trouble as a result, because that's how our investment system works. Their stockholders their stockholders won't like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Dr. Desselt, so when did it first begin, actually, that – Somebody said, we have to market specifically to children, because obviously, if you go back to an agricultural cultural society, everybody's eating the same thing and I think I saw a video of you where you made the great point you know that why should children be taught to eat any differently if they 're taught from a very young age that broccoli is a perfectly fine thing to eat, and everybody around them is eating broccoli they 'll eat broccoli you know well, but if- I,
5: I I can remember when I was a kid there were toys in Cracker Jacks There were toys In cereal boxes You could write away For things It was very exciting It was worse back
1: then As far as like from From a
5: No 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 It wasn't worse There was much much Less of it Than there is now And the stakes Were much lower yeah. Um, no, it's really, really changed in the last 20 years, uh, noticeably and measurably. And it's not that marketers haven't always wanted to entice kids to get to, to nag their parents to buy products. It's that the intensity and the volume has increased so much.
1: Okay, yeah. You
5: know,
1: I was going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just going back, like with television as a brand-new medium in the 50s, Anyone that saw anything was incredibly impressionable at the time. So wasn't that the really the kickstart of let's figure out who we're pitching and selling these things to?
5: Sure. And at the time, um, there were there was less time devoted allowed for commercials than there is now. There are more commercials now. Kids are exposed to more. Um, televised commercials and I mean the the television business is so bad that there are some people, uh, many people in fact who are advocating if you want your kid to stay healthy and not get fat, turn off the TV period, end of story
2: right, right
5: Uh, because when when kids are watching TV they're watching commercials for junk food they're eating junk food while they're watching and they're not being active so it's a triple threat
0: so if you even have the wherewithal to, uh, to, eat your, to to feed your kids well at home, to teach them about cooking, to get them involved. I mean, now we're in a time with, you know, all the I try to buy organic, there's this slow food movement, there's all this awareness now that's going on. Um, how do you still keep them from being disappointed when they see or they can go to a neighbor's house? I mean, I, re- I remember when I was growing up, this was back in the 70s, and my mother was a kind of early adopter, I guess, as you could call her, she was reading Prevention magazine, and I came home one day and she said, "I'm making carob cookies." And I started, I burst into tears. I said, "Oh no, my friend has Q's, you know, in her house," and we tried to eat healthy, and I try to eat healthy now, but that kind of disappointment where if you're the only one still uh, around and you've got kids and they see all their friends eating this stuff, how would, how do you advise parents to manage that? To just say it's house rules.
5: In you know, our house, rules, this is yeah. the way. This is the way we do it in our house. This is how our family does it. When you grow up, you can make your own decisions about it, but right now this is the way our family does it. And that it, way your kid will win all
1: the races in the gym.
5: Yeah, it's not negotiable, and your kids don't have to like it. They can be disappointed. They'll survive, and they will thank you for it later. That's what life does. <laughs> you know, it's one of the things about growing up, and it's one of the things about... About parenting is you don't have to please your kids all the time. You're you're the one who's supposed to know what they're they're eating and the that they're that they're supposed to eat, and that's part of why food marketing to children is so insidious because marketers are trying to convince kids that that's what they're supposed to be eating and that they know more about what they're supposed to be eating than their parents do. And this, it seems to me, is very undermining of parental authority over what kids are eating, which is hard enough to manage. Um, And it's reason enough to be concerned about food marketing to kids because they're deliberately trying to come between you and your child in making decisions about what kids eat. I think parents should decide what kids eat. Uh, I think adults should decide. Kids don't know nutrition. They don't understand about these things. They're happy if it's sweet, Um, and marketers know that.
0: And maybe there are ways, if you live in a place where you can have a garden, and obviously even urban centers now are trying to have gardens. I think it helps when I see kids who actually can see where food comes from. It's neat. I mean, you grow a garden and you see something come out of the ground. It is thrilling. you're, You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I mean, I
5: remember the first time I experienced a garden. I mean, it's really what got me interested in this. In the first place, I was about eight or nine years old, and I went to a summer camp in Vermont that had a really big garden. And the um, the, the woman who ran the camp was a fabulous cook, and she knew about fresh ingredients. And if you were a good camper, you could go pick the vegetables for that night's dinner. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe the way they tasted uh-huh. It was a complete revelation to me I had never tasted anything like it. I can still remember what those green beans tasted like, uh-huh. warmed by the hot July sun. Uh-huh. There's nothing like it It's just thrilling
0: poetic almost the way you describe it. <laughs> well, I feel poetic about it it's green
5: <laughs> yeah. it's green bean season now, and there's a really big and there's a really big difference between green beans that you're picking off of a vine and those that you're buying in a supermarket shipped in from thousands of miles away.
0: I'm currently growing them, I can attest to that.
5: Yes, yes. You are. Yeah, They don't they don't taste the same. No, They're
1: not different. at all. I so, want so, can I just you know, interject something regarding like green beans? I don't know if you saw this this week but something about the debt ceiling conversations. I don't know what the deal yeah. is But Obama said like we have to eat our peas as a metaphor,
2: <laughs> and, like, the pea industry is, like,
1: booming now. Do, uh, do people really need to be told to eat vegetables, to eat vegetables? Is, is it, honestly, are we, are we are we glib to assume that it's not common sense?
5: I think it's beyond, <clears throat> it's beyond common sense. We've forgotten, because we're so deluged by billions of dollars worth of food marketing telling us to eat what I call center aisle foods, processed foods that are in the center aisles of supermarkets, Um, that have hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising behind them every year, we're so convinced that that's what we're supposed to be eating that we forget about what real food tastes like.
0: Yeah, we had a question with Matthew referred to James, our production assistant, who's here, and he was saying, you know, how can you tell... Because even even junk food gets marketed, you know, there are low-fat Oreos that, you know,
1: sort of try to... With calcium.
0: Yeah, exactly. Add (laughs) calcium and things like that that try to make it seem like they're healthy. Or a bag Uh of sun chips, you know, which um, sort of portray themselves as being a healthy snack. But when you look closely, so what you just... How, what would you advise, again, I mean, for somebody to look at the label and say, gee, is this, can I should, I, should I be having this much sodium? You know, and go through all of those things when you're a mom. I mean, is it essentially just avoiding those middle aisles, as you say, and stay by the fresh fruits and vegetables and anything that that isn't packaged? Yeah, I mean, there's an
5: enormous effort from food manufacturers now to try to distinguish between healthier and non-healthier options, but I don't think there's much difference between them. I mean, people would be much healthier if they were eating real foods. Now, I know parents are going to tell me that they don't have time to cook, and they, you know, these foods are enormously convenient for them, and those are choices that people have to make for themselves. But if you want to eat healthfully, you don't, you eat foods that are as little processed as possible.
1: I I wanted to bring up, I mean, going, just rounding out the last conversation and going to the next one. You had a great quote, and I'm I'm the father of uh, two 15 month old twins. So I look forward to telling them, thank you, I look forward to telling them no when they come (laughs) back from school and say, My, everyone in class is eating Twinkies and we're having carob cookies, like Lisa.
2: (laughs) But you said that,
1: you know, we don't want our kids to be the arbiter of their own food, and you're right, it's the parents' responsibility. But my question then, there, and this ties into the whole thing bringing it full circle, is how much can consumers be held responsible? When the corporate machines are there, and I used to work in advertising, so I know how to manipulate. Frito-Lay was one of our accounts, so we built entire campaigns and we getting teenagers to eat Doritos. And it's all about market manipulation. What is the power? It's all your fault, Matthew. It's my fault. What is the power of the consumer in the face of, or, or is there a rising movement of, of more consciousness against the machine?
5: I think there's a huge movement of more consciousness. And that's why these food companies are running as scared as they are and are fighting as hard as they can against these, what I think are extremely loose and relaxed standards that the government has proposed for marketing foods to kids. Um, When I first saw the standards, I thought the standards were kind of loose. Um, and and would enable food companies to sell pretty much everything they were already selling. But it turns out I was wrong about that, and that it would, in fact, restrict the marketing of a rather large number of products. And the companies are reacting with outrage and going right to Congress and saying this is completely ridiculous, and this is going to cause 74,000 lost jobs in America if we put these standards in place. Nobody's thinking about the kids
2: yeah and no, and no. that's, Hell and that's very
5: tr- and that's very troubling. We want kids to grow up healthy if they're going to grow up healthy and have a lower risk for chronic disease, not be totally one hundred percent protected, but at least have a lower chance of getting the chronic diseases that you talk about on your show and that are the leading causes of death and disability among Americans. We want them to eat healthy. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that by teaching them at home, by at least hoping that they'll be taught something in schools and that schools will be setting an example, and by not buying the products that are most egregiously marketed.
0: So that's a good segue into exactly, exactly as you say, what it is that we do here in terms of talking about chronic diseases. The the problem it seems to me is whenever there's it's 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 really hard for medical science to actually pinpoint and say, Okay, eat a ton of spinach and you're not gonna get cancer, right? Or oh, they
5: can't do that.
0: Right. So, yeah, I so, mean, they, can,
5: they can't do that because these diseases have multiple causes and they're not due to a single food or a single nutrient. Right. They're due to an entire lifestyle pattern, which means smoking, drinking, activity, food, and everything else. But I think food is a very important component here.
0: Right. And But in terms of um, actual, I mean, what does it take to, I guess the point is, it's hard because there aren't sort of people always look to actual studies. You know, every single day there's another study comes out. This does cause cancer. This doesn't cause cancer. This, co- you know, have your antioxidants. Well, does the, the doctor say there's nothing that's been scientifically proven in terms of antioxidants? So I think people, you know, everybody's sort of looking around for somebody to tell them what to do and what's good, and what's bad, um, but but without any sort of real Hard definitive
2: answers,
0: you know, or evidence, as you say, because you you can't necessarily pinpoint that. So, how do you again, how do you sort of, how do you sort of remedy that when you come up against that?
5: Well, you do the best you can with the with the research. Um, What I'm constantly hammering on is how difficult it is to do nutrition research because you're looking at uh, one factor in the midst of factors that affect disease risk and affect health. Uh, So it isn't just a matter of diet. It's also whether people are smoking and how much they're drinking and whether they're they're physically active and how much they weigh and all of these other kinds of considerations go into determining health risk. But the studies that have looked at overall dietary patterns have consistently for more than 50 years now said that people who eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole grains are better off than people who don't. So it seems to me there's a message there. And then what scientists try to do, because it's too hard to study the whole thing, is to try to tease out individual components. And that's where they get into trouble. Because people don't eat individual components, they eat diets. So this makes the research very, very difficult to do. And whenever I hear... um, medical groups or government groups talk about the need for science-based recommendations. I try to figure out who's saying that, hmm. because almost invariably, it's being stated by somebody who's worried that dietary advice is going to adversely affect what they're doing.
1: Their business, yeah. Yeah. So, a quick question for you here. I mean, just, again, jumping forward to to go back, in a sense. The, um... uh. When, we, when you go to see a doctor with a, with a problem, we had this question on last week's show. The doctor never asks you, what do you eat? The doctor always asks, you know, what are your symptoms? And not what's causing your symptoms, but what's wrong with you now. I mean, just to go back, people that are struggling to try to eat healthier, that are that want to make better choices, that are choosing the, the farmer's market or the organic labels, James had a question here. He dug this up, that there's now, you know, conjecture around the... the, the um, the the trust that we can put in the organic food certifiers. Are you aware of this situation? Yes. James, what was yeah. your question?
3: I mean, it, when we go to the grocery store, do we even pay attention to the organic label and give it validity? Is it worthless at this point because of lobbyists in the USDA bending to agriculture?
5: Yeah, when I when I wrote my book What to Eat, I did a big investigation of what the organic situation was. And at the time, and this was in 2006, at the time that I was doing this, everybody said, with rare exceptions, that you could trust the organic standard. Um, And this was told me by organic producers, by uh, people who were doing the certifying, and just about everybody who was involved in it felt that it was a really good system and it was working well because the organic producers have to be inspected and the inspectors have to be certified. Since then, I think there's been there have been increasing attacks on uh, the organic certification system and a lot of them come from industrial producers who don't like it that people are buying organics because they don't trust what they're producing. So I think what we need to do is to vote with our forks to support organic producers, but also vote with our votes and use our political power to to make sure that the Department of Agriculture keeps those standards honest. And both of those things have to be done quite vigilantly.
0: And what's the best thing to? I mean, is the best you can do is what? Look for the U the USDA organic label above, as above all others.
5: Well, it's the only one that has any regulation behind it. And you know when you see that certification, that that USDA certified organic, that the place has been inspected. And you can worry as much as you want about how good the inspection is or whether the the inspecting agencies are honest. But if you want to make sure that those inspecting agencies are honest, you have to let the Department of Agriculture know that this matters. Right right now, we have a Department of Agriculture with a very strong interest in organics, and they've actually been doing some enforcement of that. But if the government changes, that may change.
1: Dr. Nessel, we have just a few minutes left, and I I wanted to get into the sort of the politics of it. We're not a heavily politically-laden show. But in the sense of, like, big government here to tell my kids what they're going to eat, do you have a position on, I mean, you obviously do have a position, sure, the books on this stuff, but with, with respect to how much can the government impose on the culture, you know, McDonnell, Ronald McDonald has to go or Tony Tucker has to go or, you know, you have to put the new calories on the sodas now and, you know, are we ever going to revise the food labels? Th- these types of things come up against huge brick walls of ignorance on the other side of the aisle most of the time. You know, But you, what you're saying, essentially, is that the... the, the 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 I can't the the swell our our side of the story we're we're uh, we're the can but sense together we are no longer the minority that the majority here is now pushing forward and like you said uh voting with their forks
5: well, I don't know whether it's a majority or a minority, I think it's a minority, but it's a very strong vocal and educated minority um I happen to think that it's government's role to advise the public about what to do to stay healthy. And there there are very good governmental reasons for doing that. A healthy population is a more active population, a more productive population, and is going to end up paying more in taxes, to put it quite bluntly. Uh, But also, uh, given a a country like ours in which we really don't have a health care system, it behooves the government to make sure that the population is healthier because healthy people don't use as much of the health care system as unhealthy people, obviously. Um, so it's in everybody's best interest, and therefore it's in the government's best interest. And why wouldn't the government give advice um, to try to – I mean, people don't have to take it if they don't want to. But I think it's the government's role, and the government does that. Every five years at the Order of Congress, it comes out with dietary guidelines. From my view, they've said the same thing since 1980 when the first ones came out. Um, they say don't gain too much weight, balance your calories, eat a lot of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, and don't eat too much junk food. That's basically what they say. Very, very simple advice. Anybody could follow it.
1: Uh, what do you think and, of the, the first lady new food? Triangle trapezoid thing.
5: Um, you mean the plate?
1: Yeah, it's the plate now. It's not uh, the, a
5: not the a new, triangle. The new, the new plate. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Mrs. Obama has done something really quite remarkable. For me personally, it's really exciting. To have somebody at the White House level who's interested in the same kinds of things that I am, right. <laughs> I think it's I think it's pretty great. Uh, you know, it's the first time in my life that anything like this has happened, uh, and she is genuinely trying to make. I mean, she has no real power, she has no legislative authority, and she's got no money to try to do what she's trying to do. All she has is leadership and moral suasion. And I think she's doing a great job of trying to get the word out that we can do something about childhood obesity if we work together as a nation to do it. And for people who are listening, these are inspiring words.
0: Absolutely. And she looks healthy instead of her kids, and she has those good biceps that show she can flex her muscle <laughs> yeah.
3: when, 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 she want, when she wants to. That woman's in shape.
0: But I think to your point, it's exactly right. I mean, the feet, yeah, you know... We, The food business does better when we all eat, but to your point, as a nation, as a whole, with the healthcare system, um, and obviously those are terrific points, the healthcare system, and in terms of a more productive nation overall, of people being sharper and being better workers and all of that, um, it certainly seems right that we will succeed as a whole, as a nation, with uh, people leading healthier lives.
5: Yeah, and it's more fun to be healthy.
1: <laughs> that
5: that oh, it is.
0: I mean, <laughs> we
1: have lot of people who
0: could tell you that.
5: So maybe that I'm sugar sure shortage will come could. to our
1: advantage. Yes, right. <laughs> right.
0: The, the sugar shortage. We have to wrap soon, but actually, I can't. I have to just ask this. Speaking of the sugar shortage and that Colbert segment, a lot of people. I mean, are there really? I mean, there hasn't been, you know, a potato famine lately. But are there really sh- food shortages lately, or is it all about food distribution?
5: Oh, it's always distribution. Right. The world produces twice as much. I mean, our country produces twice as much food right. as we need for the population, and that's after exports and plus imports. Um, but people don't have money to buy it, or right. they're in the middle of wars, or something is hor- horrible as horrible is happening to their land. Um, countries uh, and the, the the countries that sell food want to be able to sell food. They don't particularly want countries to be able to produce their own because it's competitive. And it's a situation in which every single country in the world is out for itself. Right. Um, and if we're talking about a billion people in the world who don't have enough to eat every day, that's because they don't have enough money or they don't have political stability. So uh, when they those go are, around... Those are, uh, those are social questions. Yeah. That's so, so when
1: they go around on the news, like, like, like uh, are they crying wolf when they say that the, the drought has caused this much damage? Or, it doesn't matter because we still have enough food?
2: Yeah.
5: Well, if, if the drought is causing damage, there would still be enough food if the country had a stable government um, and if people weren't at war and if they had enough money to buy it. The, there would still be enough food. There aren't real food shortages yet. At some point there may be, uh, but at the moment there aren't. What there are are political situations that prevent people getting the food they need. Right. Uh, And that happens in this country as well as in other countries.
0: This is a very, very naive question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) So I walk around my local stop and shop, which is up in the Hudson Valley, and it's, you know, the length of three football fields, And there's about six people in there because it's not a very populated area. And there's these rows and rows and rows you know, mostly of the packaged food that we shouldn't be eating. But I just think to myself, there's so much food in this store, there's so few people, it's not moving. Where does it all go? Where does it all go?
5: Well, I'm guessing that it moves. It just moves at times of day that you don't see it, because that store wouldn't be in business if the food didn't move. It would be yeah. closing like so many supermarkets are all over the place. Yeah. Um, so it must be moving. And the, the supermarkets claim that they work on a very, very low profit margin, but they're businesses, and they're not social service agencies. <laughs> so they're not going to stay in business if they're not making a profit.
2: Yeah.
0: Well this is um this is great. We hope you we 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 could go on and on but uh, we've probably uh, You've been we've, very generous of your
1: time. We appreciate you, that. You really oh it's my
0: pleasure. My we've, pleasure. We've we've kept you on uh longer than uh, longer than we said we would actually
5: <laughs> this is a, this is an engaging discussion for us and well, we've... I've been ha- I've been enjoying it so I haven't
1: noticed. <laughs> okay. Excellent. It's 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 next Tuesday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Anytime. I hope so we still really. mind. So yeah,
0: we'd love to have you back because, we could again we could talk we have a uh, a very plugged in obviously young adult population uh, who've you know, of, of largely of, of cancer survivors and co-survivors in their family, and this is a topic that we come back around to over and over again, and we, can just, we can't speak enough about it. It's so interesting to us, and it's great to have somebody like you who's so entrenched in it and fighting the good fight out there. And she could take on Colbert. <laughs> she could take on Colbert, exactly, with a pound of sugar. <laughs>
1: Well, Dr. Nessel, thank you so much for everything. Good luck with everything, and hopefully we'll be back in touch catch you on the show next season.
0: Uh,
5: oh, thanks so much. Good night. All right,
1: take care. Dr. Thank Mary Nestle, everybody. Mary fantastic. She's awesome. Yes, she sure. is absolutely awesome. She's fantastic.
0: Yep. very cool. I it's smell
1: like a- an OMG speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You, you
0: smell an yeah. OMG yeah.
1: She'd be great. We gotta Well, get actually, a- next week, too, Dr. Sandra Stangraver Is she's, she's the Mary Nessel of the environment. She's wrote amazing books about toxins and pollutants and like um, what's that Julia Roberts movie? Uh, Brokovich. Erin Brockovich. Brockovich. When their specialties combine, they are Captain Planet. Yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 they are what causes cancer.
1: Exactly. Anyway. So back that was a good show. Shows. And, Mary next, and Nestle. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, gonna be amazing.
3: You to go to
0: Vegas? I know she gets a lot of invitations,
1: but... Oh, who would not want
3: to go to Vegas? Who's more
0: fun than us? She nope. could be
3: my plus one. To Maybe Stephen <laughs> Colbert. <laughs> she can be your plus one. Let's get Stephen Colbert.
1: <clears throat> right. Let's get them to reenact the sugar dramatization. We don't need Colbert. No, no, no. no. We're too
0: big for Colbert.
1: We are. Did Clearly. Did I say that? What? Yeah. <laughs> Dear Comedy Central, please love us. <laughs> All right. Well, we're ending early. It's a good night. And, um... Can no, the, we're ending on time.
2: No, <laughs> run no. Late.
1: I like to run late. No, Running no. late is, is on time. When will uh, then be now? It's like Matt's favorite quote, going forwards to jump backwards. Yeah. Jumping backwards. He said that said. about six
0: times during yeah. the Marion Nestle interview. I do that I'd a lot. like to go forward to go backwards. I know I'm going to step sideways.
1: In his DeLorean. In his <laughs> <laughs> Wonka Vader. Jumping forward in my yeah. flex capacitor <laughs> to come back to the story 20 years earlier. Now
0: I will go diagonally.
1: Yes. Or rather tangentially. Tangentially, yes. I'm a god. I'm god. You're a god with tangential. <laughs>
3: yes, exactly.
1: Anyway, right. well, before we hit our closing thing, was next week is our last show of the season.
3: Wow! Oh no. It's our
1: last show of the Does season. Does that mean I get a month off? You get a month off from the show. James, to we James, all do. James still us to show up. Yeah. <laughs> we, we want all do. Yeah.
3: Kenny, you get a month off from the show, but <laughs> not from work. James has to come and put the air conditioners on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. James <laughs> is going to sit in his
0: black room all by himself.
3: Yeah. I Wonder- oh, no.
0: Where is everybody?
3: <laughs> Ain't going to happen. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: He'll do his best, Matthew Zachary. Monday! Monday! Opening the
3: show. <laughs> there's just no way. <laughs> I don't right. have a radio voice. All right. Uh, you do? No, I don't. Yeah, no, you don't. All right, you have
1: a, a southern radio voice. Yes. All, All right, ready? folks. Kenny? Kenny? Shut up, man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for our closing sequence? All right, sequence? closing sequence. To <laughs> activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so... To all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray,
2: I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
0: All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 194th Count and Broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd
1: like to thank our guests, Miles Susskind and Dr. Mary Nessel. And in our studio tonight, Mr. Kenny Gain and James Manning. Uh, Next week's season finale
0: is Dr. Sandra Seingraber. Did I pronounce that
2: right, Matthew? That is correct.
0: Okay. Woo! Does everything cause cancer? She's going to tell us. She is an acclaimed ecologist, the author of Raising Elijah, the author of Living Downstream, Ithaca College Scholar in Residence at the Department of Environmental Studies and Sciences. She will be here with us. And in our Survivor Spotlight, Amy Nauch, who is a three-time young adult survivor of brain cancer. She's a naturopathic doctor. She'll tell us what that is all about
1: at the Social Community Health Clinic. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at
2: iTunes,
1: Com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the Chemo Deck. On behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and the whole team here at I2Y, have a great week. We'll see you back next time.
2: Good
3: night, everybody. Bye. Good night.